Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's your host, C.L. King, coming to you live from the High Definition Studios here in Impactville. And Impactville is a pretty broad place. It's not just uh, in one location. We try to make an impact everywhere and anywhere there's humanity. So let me ask you this question, because this is this is going to be a very impactful episode for me. And I know it's going to be a very impactful episode for you. Just imagine when you turn 16, all y'all out there older than 16 watching this. But you remember the time when you turned 16 and how full of hope you were, how full of promise you were thinking about, man, what I'm what I'm going to do now with this second stage of my life, getting ready for for finishing high school, maybe going off to college. The dreams are just right on the horizon. And then all of a sudden, in an instant, all those dreams are snatched away and you're accused of doing something that you did not do. You're coerced into making statements that were not true. And then you spend 16 more years incarcerated. Yeah, that's our guest tonight. We brought him back because he's such a powerful voice for wrongful incarceration. And I said, Jeff, we got to get you back. Uh, Jeff Deskovic out of New York is really changing the trajectory of how we even view our legal system. And he's getting laws passed. He's, he's getting elected officials involved. And he has created a foundation that is strategically designed for justice. And so I'm thankful that he took time out of his very busy schedule to come back to join with us here at Impacting Life 24-7. I wish you would put your hands together for our dear friend, Jeff Deskovic. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you very much for having me. Excited, I'm excited to be um, have made the cut and get the second go around <laughs> on, your, uh, on your show. Yeah, I said Jeff did not draw the short straw. He made it, man. And uh, it was because you had such an impact on us. Uh, and and the, the story that you have, Jeff, is pretty remarkable. So uh, a lot of changes have, have happened since you were last here. I don't know if you noticed the studio is totally different, uh, totally remodeled the studio. And uh, we're just wanting to continue like you to elevate our game and provide high quality service to our to our folks. Yeah, it looks incredible. It's it's that's very, very impressive. I, I have to say, I don't think anybody's studio looks quite as swanky and uh, as, as yours does. Man, I wish I was there. I wish I was there in person just to sit on that uncomfortable couch. I'm telling you, we got the we got wireless microphones for our guests, man. We we doing it right. We give uh, if you show up in person, you get a gift basket. It's just it's just the way it's gonna be here at Impactville, <laughs> sir. So Jeff, uh First of all, let's let's let people connect with you because they're going to want to do that uh, immediately. Give us some ways that our audience can connect with you. Yeah, definitely. Um, they can email me through the website, www.deskovic.org. That's D-E-S-K-O-V-I-C.org. They can also uh, message me, whether I'm on, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, as well as uh, LinkedIn. Okay. Now tell me about LinkedIn. You, I mean, I have not, I've in all these years of being in, in public service, I have not used it. What do you think about it? I really like it. I mean, it's almost like Facebook, except that it's strictly for things that are, that are professional rather than, rather than personal. Right. And I've met quite a few people uh, that way that I would not have met through other social media. Oh, okay, good. Well, I need to get my, I need to step my, you know, me and you're going to brainstorm some things together. So I'll have to step up my, my LinkedIn game and uh, just tell us, um, t- 
tell us a little bit about yourself, Jeff. I mean, get us caught up. I know you. Many of our audience knows you, but our audience continues to grow. So tell us, uh, get us caught up on who Jeff Deskovic is. Sure. So I'm an attorney who started the Jeffrey Deskovic Foundation for Justice, which has freed 11 wrongfully convicted people, helped pass three additional laws. Uh, I'm, I'm on the uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm an advisory board member of the National Coalition Group. It could happen to you, which helped pass another six laws. And I sit on the Global Advisory Council for Restorative Justice International. Uh, my life mission is to free wrongfully convicted people, pursue policy changes. But I got recording into stopped. Keep, it, keep going. Go ahead. But I got into all of this uh, because I was exonerated myself. I was arrested at, at age 16, turned 17. I lost a trial and I was wrongfully imprisoned for the next 16 years in New York for a murder and rape, which I did not commit before I was exonerated through further DNA testing. So let's go. Let's go back, man, because I, I remember this. It really shook. It really shook me when I heard it. Um, how how I mean, what, what was the situation Were you just in the wrong place at the wrong time or were the were the police looking to pin this on somebody uh, police were looking to pin this on somebody i got on their radar because in high school i was quiet i was to myself i didn't participate in a lot of organized sports so some of those kids suggested to the police hey you might want to talk to jeff i guess their thought was that people that don't fit in commit heinous crimes uh, i was a sensitive teenager so i had an emotional reaction to the murder and rape of high school class spate that I barely knew recording so, in progress and so that was suspicious to them and over the next six weeks they had a series of interactions with me which culminated into their coercing a false confession out of me over six and a half to seven hours uh, on a school day driving me across county lines uh, my mother had no idea where I where I was and it featured threats false promises and giving me countless cups of coffee. And that was how they managed to arrest me. Uh, my public defender essentially didn't, it didn't defend me. Uh, they prosecuted me even though the DNA didn't match me. And ultimately they were able to gain a conviction and it took 16 years, seven lost appeals and uh, being turned down at the parole board for largely because I maintain my innocence and uh, rather than express remorse and take responsibility. And so that was how I served 16 years before further DNA testing through the data bank identified the actual perpetrator. So my charges were dismissed on actual innocence grounds and he was arrested and convicted for the crime. 16 years, Jeff. And you guys are you guys are connecting with us at uh, Impact Life 24-7. Jeff, Recording uh, stop. Please tell, please tell your website again, Jeff. www.deskovic.org, D-E-S-K-O-V-I-C. And just to connect with the audience further, just to crystallize what we're really talking about between those formative years of 17 to 32, I didn't graduate high school. I didn't go to La prom. I missed births, deaths, weddings, other rites of passage, finishing my education at traditional age, being uh, possibly having a, a family, uh, possibly being on my way to financial freedom. Uh, so I missed all of those. Uh, I missed all those things. When I was eventually exonerated, I, I did things for the first time that normally are done in a much earlier stage of life. So like driver's license and living on my own, going shopping, writing a check, balancing a budget. Yeah, man, that, that, that's just unbelievable. How did you, I mean, in, in jail, knowing that you were, you were innocent, did you set out immediately to, man, I'm going to get this. I'm going to, did you turn into attorney mode right away or I did, 
I did, but that was at the suggestion of an, of another prisoner who suggested, look, you know, you need to go to the law library and learn the law and, and fight your case. You can't just rely on, on the public defender. And that really resonated with me because my public defender let me down at the course of the trial. Wow. And and so you, you said, I'm going to take this into my own hands. I did. I started going to the law library and learn, learning the law. And I started collecting articles about other people who were exonerated. And I used that as motivation to continue. And I looked at what route did they take, but other factors which enabled me to survive that experience. I mean, certainly my belief in God was one thing. Another thing was that I believed in my own innocence. And I thought then that, so I thought I was just doing another year or two to the next appeal was, was going to be uh, decided. I realized that it really didn't have the luxury of losing my mind, that nobody was coming to rescue me. So I was going to have to learn the law and I was going to have to try and recruit somebody to help build a bridge between me and those that legal services. So in the course of that, I had to keep fighting off feelings of hopelessness, helplessness, thoughts of giving up, uh, suicidal ideation. So it was it was very much uh, it was hard on so many levels. It's not simply the mere absence of your freedom. Yeah, man. And and. And so, you know, as things as things started to change later on in 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 the process, uh, at what stage in these sixteen years did you realize, hey man, we we might be able to get this overturned? I would say to well, I was thinking that the first eleven years, you know, but because it, it took that long for me to lose all seven of the the, the appeals, uh-huh. but then the next four years, which were just involved me writing letters trying to recruit help, and then being turned down for the parole board. Once that happened, I thought I might be, I thought the opposite actually, CL. I thought I might not be able to get this overturned. I think this is, I think this is going to be it. So it was all, and consequently that last year was the most difficult where I really wrestled with not uh, giving up. But in terms of that moment where I started, I started to have a little bit of hope. I would say that was, uh, that was at the end, towards the end of the 16th year when the Innocence Project agreed to, uh, rep- agreed to represent me. So that was the first glimmer of hope right there. But even then I was afraid. I was afraid to hope because if you hope that you can be disappointed and if you just be disappointed, you you, you, can, you can be hurt. Yeah. That's that, almost like being wrongfully convicted all over again. Well, yeah, because you know, you were, you, you put your, you put your confidence and faith in something and then to, to be turned down is, is just, is just devastating. One, one thing that I recognize is that, you know, I, I told you in the pre-show, man, I go speak in jail to the residents uh, every month. I've been doing that with the partnership with the county sheriff in Craven County, Craven County Sheriff Chip Hughes. He said he wanted to try anything to help uh, reduce recidivism in his jail. He's one of the best sheriffs Craven County has ever had. And he's running a program having me there as the impact motivator, uh, which not a lot of prisons do. You know, they might bring in somebody every now and then. But uh, I'm there every month inspiring these men and women to, uh, hey, man, you can overcome this. You can make it. We can get out and things can turn around. Uh, I, can, I just can't imagine because I'm in the bowels of the jail. I just can't mm-hmm. imagine being in that place for so long knowing that you were innocent. Um, and I, bl- I thank you that you articulated that your faith in God and your belief in him kind of sustained you. But what is it like for a 17-year-old to to cross the thresholds into the cold steel iron gates of a jail? Uh, it was definitely very frightening. I mean, the barbed wire was menacing, looking, the walls loom large, and 
you know, I was uh, amongst fully grown men, many of whom were guilty of very serious violent crimes. So look, it was frightening. It was dangerous. It, it took me maybe three or four years just to be used to when I'm in the cell, just the, the, the walls in, in the cell. That was a difficult uh, thing as, as well. Wow, man. So Jeff, you, when you, when you got out and you got your conviction overturned, before before we get into your project and what the great work that you're doing, tell me about your men, mental state. Uh, were you bitter? Were you were you angry? Or or did that this whole thing fuel what we now see as the Deskovic Foundation? Is is that what led to it? It led to that, but that was not the situation initially. That okay. first week, I did feel angry, and that towards the end of that week, I realized to myself, "Look, this this anger is destroying me," and I want to enjoy my life as much as I can. And I can't do that if I'm angry or bitter. I've lost so much already. Why would I want to, in effect, lose the rest of my life? If I was to be angry or bitter, it's not like I would be impacting the people that had a hand in what happened to me. I really would be the only loser in that scenario. And uh, the vehicle that allows me to actualize that is I take that energy and I channel it into the advocacy work. Yeah, see that that's powerful, ladies and gentlemen. Did you hear that? You know, even you know, even when you know you're right, and you have every every reason to feel a certain way or be twisted or angry with the system, uh, Jeffrey Deskovic Esquire said, "No, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something different. I'm not gonna allow this to get the better of me." And if you want to if you want to connect with what Jeffrey's doing, you can go to deskovic.org. That's Deskovic D E S K. O-V-I-C dot org. You can find him also at Jeffrey Deskovic on Facebook and on LinkedIn as well as Instagram. And uh, up there in the in the great what, what city are you in? Yeah, I'm in a I'm in the Throgs Neck section of the Bronx. He's in the Bronx, the South South Bronx. Yeah. So <laughs> um, Jeffrey and I have really connected. I mean, we don't talk every day, but I, I watch and see what he's doing. And it really just inspired me because this is the message of impacting life 24 seven. So when you got out and you began to, to work, tell us how, how you got to work and kind of get us caught up on what, what you're doing. Sure. So in terms of beginning, so at the press conference, when I was released, uh, I spoke off the cuff two two and a half hours, everything I'd ever wanted to say all just came out. And just when I thought I was finishing another topic occurred to me. And so it went, and the light bulb went off and I, I thought, you know, I, I can participate in innocence work without necessarily being an attorney. Uh, and so I began speaking. I became a columnist for a weekly newspaper. I was trading privacy for awareness by doing media interviews. And I was regularly meeting with elected officials. So I did that for five years. I got a scholarship from Mercy College to finish the bachelor's because I recalling that I had the GED and associates while I was in prison completing another year towards the bachelor's before funding was cut. And uh, then from there, I got a master's degree uh, from John Jay College of Criminal Justice. I thought the extra credential would help my advocacy work. And I wanted to be able to speak about more than just my own case, hence writing the thesis on wrongful conviction, cause and reform. And about five years after being uh, released, I was able to receive some financial compensation. And I used some of the money to start the Jeffrey Deskovic Foundation for Justice and just continuing the work that I did before, but having the exonerative component to it. and We've been able to um, get 11 people home. We helped pass three laws. And then as part of the It Could Happen to You Coalition, helped pass another six laws. And in terms of what I'm doing, and at some point, 
I became not satisfied with sitting in the front row of the courtroom. I wanted to be able to sit at the defense table. I wanted to represent some of the clients, make some of the arguments, hence a foray into law school, becoming an attorney. Uh, so since, uh, so, you know, now, uh, so since I was last on the show, uh, I've been involved in, in a lot more policy work. So in terms of uh, in New York, there's the Challenging Wrongful Convictions Act, which will provide attorneys for uh, people during post-conviction proceedings, which is not currently performed, uh, provided. Um, it would has a provision there that would allow someone who's pled guilty, if you have new evidence of innocence that wasn't known before, that could be presented to court. So that's definitely a reform I'm working on in New York. Three different measures in terms of trying to prevent wrongful convictions caused by false confessions, recalling that. Uh, false confessions have, been, have caused wrongful convictions to 27% of them. There's the Youth Interrogation Act, which would mandate 16 and 17 year olds have to speak to a lawyer to explain their rights to them before they can waive their rights. Uh, police deception bill, which would prevent the police from using deception in interrogations, recognizing that that's a coerce, inherently coercive, and getting rid of exceptions so that the police would have to record. Uh, all custodial interrogations, whereas right now in, in New York, uh, there's exceptions for homicide, sex offenses, drug cases. In Pennsylvania, that's one of 12 states that uh, does not offer compensation. So myself and my colleagues, we've been making rounds primarily with the Republicans that are uh, in, in the majority in the legislature and building support there amongst them for exonerating compensation in California working at passing the uh, Commission on Prosecutor Conducts of the Independent Oversight Board, which mimics the law that we helped pass in New York. Uh, so that's on the policy level, but we're working on cases. We have 12 cases going. Uh, I'm active in six of them as co-counsel. Most of them uh, as um, second seating, more experienced attorneys, but a couple of them, CL, I, I, I told the more experienced attorney, look, I want to be the lead in a couple of these. I still need you for experience. Let me be, let me get a little uh, experience driving the car. So I have some of those cases uh, going as well. And I recently came back from Austin, Texas, where I spoke at the TAPIC conference, where there was uh, more than 540 people, most of whom were in law enforcement in one police agency or another in uh, Texas. And I love being accepted in law enforcement quarters because this is about accuracy and justice, not anti-cop. Definitely against cops that uh, engage in misconduct, but not. But if you're doing your job and you're in that difficult and essential uh, profession, I have no issues with you. And so I love when I get buy-in like that. So that's powerful. You know, Jeff, I'm I'm just blown away. I just. Just for the record, when you get done with the show, I want you to go check your your messages. I just invited you to our leadership uh, institute. I would love for you to be a part of that and maybe do some sessions of educating folks because I I just don't I just don't you know we see some of these things happen on the news right and and people are just like man that's so unfortunate but they don't know how they can get involved and uh, I would love for 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 you to be able to help. Uh, raise awareness of how people can get engaged. Getting engaged would be as simple as joining uh, the foundation and, and, you know, the Deskovic Foundation and, and helping you, uh, you know, leverage this message that, hey, look, man, we got We got to do this right. Not saying that we're 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 against any one side or the other, but we are for justice. And, right. and 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 you have lived it. And I think we talked last time. You remember the fellow who who got out last time we talked? He was in North Carolina. What did he do? Forty something years. 
Yeah, I think that was. Uh, I think uh, yes, I think that was uh, Malcolm Alexandra. Yeah, I could, you know, just imagine 40 years. It's like he went in in the, the 70s or something and come out in the 2000s and he don't even know how to, you know, he don't even know how to do anything because everything has changed so much. Had had things changed a lot for you in 16 years? Yes, they had in terms of when I was when I was before before I went in and afterwards. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely cell phones, GPS, Internet. These things had not been created culture was much different neighborhoods look totally different just similar enough to look strange and so cumulatively right. it felt like I was in a uh like I was in a in a parallel world where I didn't where I didn't belong yeah that's something man you're you're also working on a, a really important uh trial right now or a retrial of of uh, someone who was um convicted of murder and rape and it got overturned uh tell us about yes, what's yeah. going on there yeah, so that's uh, that's Andrew Krivak. So he's he's um, foundation client, and what's crazy about the uh, so what's crazy about Andrew's case? So his case, his conviction was overturned after twenty three and a half years, but that was three and a half years after his co defendant's case was overturned, and he was exonerated. He was compensated, so they got the same set of facts, and it took another three and a half years to overturn the conviction. So he's been home on house on bail, but house arrest with an ankle monitor. Finally, his trial is his retrial is coming up on November seventh. And one of the crazy things that about that case is that the same polygraphist who coerced the false confession out of me did the same thing to Andy. He made he made that claim back when it happened. Like he didn't come up with that after I was exonerated. You know, he, he yeah. made that claim back when I was still wrongfully imprisoned. And much like me, there you know, there's evidence of, of another person's guilt. There's there's a ton of evidence as to uh, an alternative suspect who was a serial rapist whose M.O. fits the same as how the victim was found in Andy's case. Wow. So if somebody if somebody needed help and they wanted to or their family member or whatever wanted to reach out, what are some of the conditions that uh, that you are looking for? Because obviously, you know, there's some people who say I'm innocent who who aren't. Um, right. But, but what what do you kind of what's your vetting process? Sure. So we accumulate we, we, we get certain limited legal documents. So we get the direct appeal briefs because that has a factual section and we gather the police reports and we get the uh, lab reports and we have them fill out a questionnaire. And so we're looking for two things. Number one, do we believe the innocence claim with our internal standard being, look, is it at least plausible what someone's saying? Right. And number two, uh, do we see a potential route uh, for victory? Because once you're convicted, you don't have the presumption of innocence. You're presumed guilty. So now it's up to you and your attorneys to prove your innocence. So we have to see a potential way that we can win the case. And if we don't see that, then we then unfortunately we have to then unfortunately we have to pass. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like you gotta. It's I guess it's basically like there's gotta be presented some new evidence, right? Yeah, yes, we have we have to. Yeah, exactly. But the people that are applying don't have to already have the new evidence. We can try to find that for them. But when we review their legal documents, you know, we we're, we we have to find some new directions to go in. Right. Yeah, man. That that's something. And how long? I mean, like, what's the longest person that served that you have represented that got overturned? Uh, so that was, that would be William Lopez. He did 23 and a half years. So he had a pre-existing legal team that had been with him for nine years. We came into the case in the last year and we provided some crucial investigative work. So kind of like a building was built, but, uh, was missing a section that we filled it in. So he did 23 and a half years and 
unfortunately, Bill only Bill only lived a year and a half after he was after he was uh, freed and he passed away. So his whole oh adult life was essentially stolen from him. I mean, just to crystallize the point, when Bill went away, he had a daughter. For those of us listening, have a daughter, have a son. Uh, you know, Bill's daughter was a year and a half when he went away. When he came back out, she was uh, she was twenty five. God, I couldn't imagine and, that, bro. Yeah, and they were never able to really reconnect because you're basically meeting a stranger. It was basically meeting. A, it was basically meeting a stranger. Sure. Wow, man, that, that's something. So the Deskovic Foundation is really important, ladies and gentlemen. Again, just go to deskovic.org. That's dot org, right? And and uh, mm-hmm. connect, donate. We want. We really want to get this message out. I want Jeffrey around in these parts of Impactville. So it's important that you know we we hear this because oftentimes we're like, all right, we know things are happening. We know things are happening wrong because human beings are involved in this process. And right. um, well, what can we do? Well, you may not be able to go into the courtroom. You may not be able to go and talk to the legislators, but the Deskovic uh, Foundation can. And if you're looking for a place to really donate into to something that's doing good, that's helping people who are wrongfully convicted, uh, this is where I want you to spend your money. So go to deskovic.org, look for Jeffrey Deskovic and many other platforms. We'll put all his contact information in the link for this show. And uh, he's, a, he's a phenomenal man. I mean, not only is he a cool New Yorker, but he's also a doggone great lawyer. And, and that has to be something, man. Look at the story, Jeff. You were a kid, 16 years old, and lost a third of your life. And then you come out and you give your life back to the place. You know what I mean? That, that's just unbelievable, yeah. Jeff. Well, that it, you know, I, I really believe that I found my purpose in the world. This is what I'm meant to do. That's how I make sense of everything in a kaleidoscopic way. And uh, what I want to also add in terms of people helping, um, we definitely need large donors for sure. But also, you know, as you, if you see up one of the graphics, I mean, one of my one of my dreams. What if there was twenty five thousand people? that could afford for between three to five dollars a month on a recurring monthly basis i mean if if people donated even on that level that would give us close to a million dollars and we would be able to have more attorneys investigators paralegals we could ramp up our policy program so that definitely is a way um if you could suggest us to other people uh, i'd love to uh, be connected, whether it's other podcasters or traditional media, uh, within the context of my nonprofit. I mean, certainly there's what's referred to as in-kind donations, which are not monetary, but a donated service. If you have a skill at grant writing or, pub- or public relations, or you're, you know, or if you're good uh, in terms of social media, it helps us ramp that up. Different. There's all kind of different ways that you know you can uh, help out if you work for a corporation and they do corporate philanthropy. Just making a suggestion to them, hey. You know, think about us. If it's nothing more than expressing support to your elected officials, hey, we want measures enacted. We want to be sure that we convict the, the right person. So we need the most accurate system possible. So all those are concrete ways that people uh, could get involved. Man, that's powerful. We're going to do our part. We're going to push this. Uh, we're going to commit to pushing it and and sharing it and participating. Man, I'll talk to our team. And we want to get in on some of this foundation donation, man, because I'm telling you, the reality is, is that if if we don't have people like Jeffrey Deskovic, who has lived it and who has experienced the trauma 
and pain of being convicted. Fortunately for you, you you did receive some remuneration. But Jeffrey, aren't there states where if you're exonerated, you you still may not get anything? Yeah, there are 12 states, including Pennsylvania, that, you know, which is a border state to New York. And, you know, we think, okay, North, liberal, uh, no. Uh, PA is not, does not compensate. So that's definitely one of the states that, uh, and that's, and I'm, that's one state that I'm working at. And speaking to the frequency of wrongful conviction, uh, per the National Registry of Exoneration, 3,268 people from 1989 forward that have been exonerated. And remember, those are the people that made it out. You know, we can, only, we can only count the exonerations, not the wrongful convictions. So unfortunately, my case is really not an anomaly. It seems like every two or three days, somebody somewhere in the U.S. is being exonerated. How many more people are still stuck on the inside? And really, I was fortunate not only to find uh, legal representation, but even the fact that DNA was able to be used in my case. I mean, that's only available in 5 to 12% of all serious felony cases. Mm. Wow, man, this is heavy, man. I feel like I feel like I'm going to law school tonight, brother. Uh, this, this, I, and this is again, deskovic.org. I would love for our audience and and our listeners and folks that will download this podcast later. As you know, it's downloaded in 46 states, 32 countries, and carried on uh, 30 something platforms, man. We we want those that listen to to realize, hey, man, I need to connect with this. And and Jeffrey gave us some other ways that we can connect in addition to our, our financial connection. So, Jeffrey, I would like for you to give, before we close, I know it's been a technical fiasco night, but we pulled it off, bro. Um, we really we, did. We, no we, one would ever guess that we went through some changes uh, they, uh, before going on air. They would have never known, man. It, it, this is how we do it, baby. Um, so we want you to come back. There won't, be a, there won't be a vetting process next time. We'll just have you back uh, maybe the beginning of the year or whatever and uh, discuss more about what you're doing. You're really, you're really impressive, Jeff. N- not your spirit, your attitude, your mission, and, uh, you know, the execution, the, what you're actually doing is, is pretty remarkable. So uh, l- let's say a family member is dealing with uh, a situation now, and they, they, they're, they're dealing with a loved one who's behind bars, and they, they're convinced that they're innocent, the one that's in, in jails. Hey, man, I'm innocent. I didn't do this. Let, give a word of encouragement for those on the outside that are trying to help. Yeah, that I wouldn't I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be free. I wouldn't be in the position that I was uh, if I quit. So you have to not quit. You have to learn the law. You should collect articles on people that were exonerated, just like I did. You want to put together a really nice and tight letter, not more than one or two paragraphs. You know, my name is so such and such. I was wrongfully convicted of this. I'm innocent. The evidence against me was, boom, here's the flaw in that evidence. Here's the top three facts in the record that, that suggest that I'm innocent. Um, if you have a direction to go in investigative-wise, I would throw that in. Wrap-up sentence, the reason why I'm writing you is because I neither I nor my family can afford to hire an attorney or investigator. I'm hoping that you will consider representing me pro bono. I have legal documents. I can prove what I'm saying. However, out of respect for your time, I'm not sending them right now. I'll wait for you to get back to me. That's what it's supposed to be. Nice and tight. The more you write, the less likely it is that someone is going to answer you. Don't send unsolicited legal answers. You don't want people to run away. And you're not trying to convince them to take your case in that letter. The only thing you're trying to accomplish in that letter is one thing and one thing only. You want someone to say to themselves, well, yeah. If what CL just told me is true, 
then yes, I, I could see how they might be innocent. Yeah. Let me learn a little bit more about this yeah. and go in stages. Cases earn time. No one just dives in off the diving board into, you know, 12 feet of water. Man. So well, that's my practical advice wrapped in with my encouragement. That's powerful, man. Uh, Jeff, Jeffrey Deskovic from the Deskovic Foundation up there in the Bronx area of New York. Great man, great, great mission. And uh, I want to support it. I want you guys to support it. Jeff, we thank you so much for your time tonight. I know it just it flew by, bro. When I talk to you, it's like time is flying. And uh, that's because you're doing a great work. And you're a great friend. Consider yourself a friend here at Impactville. And uh, we'll have you back beginning of the year. We'll chat offline about uh, brainstorming some other areas. And I look forward to seeing all the great things you continue to do, Jeff. Thank you very much for having me. Let me give my 24-7 impact a formula. I'll take I'll take a minute or less. Oh, you you hit hit mute, hit unmute, Jeff. Okay, there so let go. me give my uh, let me give my impact 24-7 formula, which can be applied generically across the board. I'll be I'll be a minute or less. Go ahead. Uh, have a goal. Have a have a realistic plan. Nobody wants to execute a plan that you don't think can uh, can work. You should be able to look at the plan and, and say. Uh, you should be able to look at three or four ways and say, yeah, I, I can see how this might work. Uh, be flexible. Remember, it's uh, the goal is the goal. The, uh, the the plan is not the goal. So if you have to vary it a little bit, then vary it. Don't be afraid of hard work. It's more likely that if you do a lot of hard work, that then you'll be in position for a miracle to happen as opposed to it just dropping uh, into your lap. How bad do you want it? Are you going to leave it all out on the field? Uh, no excuses why you can't accomplish something. There might be reasons why it's harder, but no reason why you can't why you can't accomplish it and never give up. And once you cross over and you never give up, you reach back and pull somebody with you that is in the same position that you were in. So that can cover all walks of life, whether you've been discriminated against, whether you've experienced racism, uh, whether you you know have been a victim of sexual assault, domestic violence, you're a, a family member it was uh, was murdered. All walks of life, I, this can apply, and in situations much less extreme than that. Very, very powerful, man. I wrote those notes down. I, I love what he said. The plan is not the goal, so sometimes the plan has got to change. That's powerful, man. That's good that's good stuff. Jeff, stay warm up there this winter, brother, and uh, we'll be in touch again real soon. Okay, bro? Absolutely. Thank you. All right, thank you. So that was Jeff Deskovic, man. What a, what a great, great story, y'all. I'm just telling you, man, when you, when you think about – when you think about somebody who has been spending their life in jail and they're knowing that they're innocent, they know they're innocent. They know they didn't do it. It, it would just seem like that would drive you mad. Like, like the insanity of being 16 years old, living your life, and then the next thing you know, you're thrown into incarceration with grown adult men who many of which have no good desire for you and you gotta you gotta survive that for 16 whole years and then only to come come out to be innocent man you know jeff is an example of no matter the adversity you still can make it man that dude has turned uh his city around states around and regions around to get people to understand that some convictions are wrong it's just that plain and simple uh, human error um crooked people 
And man, it's just, it's just so good to hear somebody saying, man, look, we take the facts. It's all facts based. It's database. It's not just about, well, he's this color or that color or he lived here or there. It's all about the facts. And usually if you got the facts, the facts will come to the top. So Jeff Deskovic dot or reach out to him, man, and connect with him today with his foundation. Until next time, we'll be uh, in the Craven County Jail tomorrow night and as well as Thursday night. Then we'd be on the road to a youth rally where I'm speaking at in Kinston, North Carolina. All right. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning in to Impacting Life 24-7 with your host, C.L. King. God bless you.